Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Empire. Born out of a pandemic, ways to make all spaces safer. Uh, build products that have IoT capabilities, generate data about how they're being used, and create this sort of auditable trail of disinfection activity. That's Grant Morgan, CEO of R0, who hopes to make indoor spaces safer by using technology to limit the spread of viruses. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Later in the show, we're going to tell you about a product that was developed to help keep basketballs sanitized and free of moisture in a place you'd probably never think of the net. But first, let's start with Grant Morgan, who saw an opportunity to help teams and really anyone stay open when the spread of a virus threatens the ability to run a business. Our guest this week is Grant Morgan. He's the co-founder and the CEO of R0 Systems, which is a group that designs hospital-grade disinfection solutions for the day-to-day realities of modern businesses, including in these days, sports teams. Hey, Grant, how are you? Excellent. Thanks for having me, Bram. I mean, I, I, when you started this company, did I don't know, did you ever envision a pandemic? I, how did you kind of see through all this stuff? Yeah. So um, actually, uh, we, we started the business right at the beginning of COVID. Mm. So uh, April of 2020. And, um, you know, we were kind of watching the world fall apart, watching the, uh, the loss of lives and the global economic devastation and felt compelled to do something and, and, and help. And, you know, we realized that we were in one of these moments in time uh, throughout history where kind of everything changes. And, um, you know, we started drawing parallels to past historic events like uh, like 9-11, for example. Um, out of 9-11 came the entire Homeland Security apparatus. You know, we stood up the Department of Homeland Security. We hired 14,000 TSA agents. You know, uh, still can't take a water bottle or wear your shoes through security. Yeah. And, um, uh, but point being, there were massive societal and infrastructural changes, and we thought there would be similar ones, but on a global scale coming out of the coronavirus pandemic, and we thought that they'd be centered around human health and, and safety. So, um, you know, so we, we started our zero to kind of combat those two things and, um, and, and build a company to really create a new standard for how we keep people safe in indoor space. So um, what was your background before this? Were you in a similar field? Uh, so I started my career in uh, in manufacturing, uh, pharmaceutical manufacturing and medical device manufacturing. Um, so, you know, a little bit like healthcare very squarely. I left healthcare to become an entrepreneur, a tech entrepreneur. Uh, so completely departed the healthcare space, uh, started working on, on software. Um, and, uh, I, you know, this is my third company now, but it's an interesting sort of amalgamation of my past experiences yeah. where you're combining the the healthcare and the healthcare adjacent uh, uh, experience with uh, with with the technology 
experience that I've had uh, starting companies. So you, uh, so you reacted to the pandemic, you saw what happened and you built this company. Um, boy, you had to move fast. What, what were you thinking about as, as you decided to take this leap into trying to help the planet for that matter? Yeah. You know, I think, um, it, it was, uh, to be frank, uh, not a whole lot of thinking. Um, it was, it was a little bit compulsive, but it, it was one of those things where I knew that in two years from now, um, you know, when this thing's all said and done, I wouldn't be able to look myself in the eye and, uh, and, and feel good about how I spent my time and energy. Um, uh, if it wasn't dedicated to, uh, to fighting this, this, uh, microscopic war that we were engaged in. So, um, you know, we, we, we honestly did it as a coronavirus response, but, you know, quickly realized the opportunity is so much bigger, um, given, you know, the way we've done disinfection in the past is, is archaic and void of any innovation in technology. And, you know, one of the real realizations to drive that point home was at the beginning of the pandemic, I'm sure you were doing this too, but everyone's, you know, wiping down their groceries and all their belongings yeah. and stuff when they get home. And, uh, we had this realization that like, look, we're, we're still using the same chemicals to fight COVID in 2020 that we used to fight the Spanish flu pandemic in oh. 1918. Um, and so, you know, we, we're technologists at heart and, and uh, you know, we, we think that this industry uh, should be managed with the same level of sophistication and technology that we've become accustomed to in virtually every other industry. All right. So when you walked into a grocery store and saw people like me spraying Lysol on a mango, you, you thought I was nuts, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know what to think. I think, you know, no, nobody really did. And, yeah. uh, you know, what, one of the interesting things that, that has happened societally, you know, we, we thought we hypothesized that this would be the case and it's very much turning out to be true, but thought that there would be uh, a lot of lingering psychological scar tissue coming yeah. out of this thing. And, um, and, you know, one of the things that we're doing to alleviate that is, is you know, we've, we've, com- we've uh, built products that have IoT capabilities, generate data about how they're being used, and create this sort of auditable trail of disinfection activity. So, huh. you know, not only, uh, you know, not only can we, uh, uh, you know, share that data with our customers for compliance, and, and they can actually look at, like, look, was this protocol followed? But, um, but our customers, have we've actually seen them share the data with their employees and patrons and guests to reinstill trust um, and, and really demonstrate and prove that they're doing something differentiated to keep them safe. But I think the bigger, the bigger sort of concept, the bigger trend that we've seen is, is that um, for, for the first time ever, like we have this like collective awareness in society of, um, you know, the impact that indoor spaces have on human health. And I think that it's just something that hasn't existed before, but because we haven't been able to go to all of these different places from, you know, uh, from restaurants to hotels, to the office, to the gym, um, or whatever it may be, um, you know, we've, we've made this association and realized like, look, where we spend 90 plus percent of our lives as humans, like in these indoor spaces, um, they present risk and, and that's how people get sick. And so coming out of COVID, um, you know, I think people are much, much more aware of, uh, that relationship between mm. indoor spaces and human health, and um, and they're changing their behavior to to account for that. And and you know, I think COVID is the flavor of the day, but people are 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 thinking about the flu, norovirus, uh, E. coli, staph, um, and all of these different you know places where uh, all of these different microorganisms that are endemic to the spaces where we frequent. And uh, and that that awareness, I think, is is not going away. And I think now is the time to create a new standard 
um, and really step our game up in keeping people safe. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the, the psychological effects, and I want to get into the sports tie, obviously, for, for this show in a moment. But, um, you know, I just, in my own personal experience, and I, I think a lot of people probably feel this way, like I've gone out of my way to do everything that I've been asked to do to try to be safe as much as possible. Um, and yet I never really feel totally safe. Like, like spraying the Lysol on the mango or wearing the mask or doing whatever things that we've either done or thought about doing or were told to do. It never did feel like, well, I'm good now or I'm in my own bubble now and this thing can't get me now. Um, So (laughs) I don't know that anything you could create could probably do that either. So so when you talk about like dealing with the psychological effects, like how, how do you kind of view that? Yeah, so I think I think that, um, you know, there's there's no silver bullet. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's going to require a lot of change and, and, uh, and some time, but I think that, um, there's, there's trust to be rebuilt, um, trust to be rebuilt between organizations and their patrons, their staff, their, you know, their, their customers, their guests. And, um, and I think the way that you build that trust is demonstrating, you know, consistency and, um, over time things are different. And, um, and, you know, one of the things that, that we are doing that's really going to help equip our customers is, is um, proving to them that we're, we're, you know, affecting health outcomes. So, you know, people that frequent the spaces that our zero products are installed in, they'll see, yes, they're getting used and that should correlate to better health outcomes. But over time, as we collect that data and, and actually demonstrate time after time um, that, look, these are the safest places because people get sick less um, at these, you know, in, in schools that have our products in, um, you know, in sports uh, facilities, uh, gyms, in arenas, and event spaces. Um, but uh, you know, I think it's you know, over time, we're going to demonstrate to the public and to our customers and to their customers and employees that um, that we can create safer spaces. And one you know anecdote, uh, a piece of data uh, that um, that's really interesting and kind of demonstrates what I mean is is uh, so the CDC publishes flu data every year, and they have for a while. Um, they have a thing called FluView, uh, very aptly branded, I guess. But um, so they track flu cases, uh, and what they what they uh, saw and what we saw in uh, 2020, um, you know, the flu the flu season during coronavirus, um, we reduced the number of flu cases by 99 percent in the United States. Yeah, and you know, so well, the, the evidence nobody there, was around yeah. anybody. Everybody was scared to be around anybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the big takeaway is that you know, like the precautions we're taking to prevent the spread of COVID, which was one of the most infectious diseases that we've ever seen as humans. Um, those precautions are plenty enough to almost eradicate more common pathogens like the flu and common colds and things like that. I don't know about you, but I didn't really get sick last year, and neither did um, I. I know I didn't either. So, yeah, so I mean, like your your uh, you know uh, your home must be you know pretty pretty clean and hygienic, and and uh, you know you fundamentally you've reduced risk in the places you know in your daily life, and you know that's what we exist to do is reduce risk in all of these indoor spaces where where people you know spend most of their lives. Um, all right, before I move on to the other stuff, you did mention, um, and maybe this was just an offhanded remark, but you said, because everybody's waiting for the end, you said, whenever we get through this in a couple of years, well, a couple of years is in a few months. You want to, are yeah. you, are you, what do you know? You probably know more than most. Are we uh, turning the corner here on this thing? Yeah, you know, I think, um, I think the, the, the end state here is COVID's going to become endemic. Um, and there's, you know, there's no way to prove this, but the, the scientific consensus is that, you know, the, the seasonal flu that we live with and, you know, lived with all of our lives um, is 
a variant or, or uh, you know, multiple variants of the 1918 Spanish flu. And so as, as uh, viruses mutate and, and uh, new variants come out and whatnot, um, we have never as humans seen a virus mutate to become more contagious, more pathogenic, more deadly. Um, they get less and less harmful as they mutate. Um, and so, you know, the longer COVID goes on and the more this mutates, um, you know, the less harmful it will be, but, um, but, you know, it will potentially circumvent any, um, sorts of, uh, uh immunities, um, just like the seasonal flu might. But, um, so we're going to be living with this thing, I think forever. Um, you know, that's, that's, uh, I think there's no way to tell for sure, um, no way to predict the future, but that's what sort of the science is pointing to. And that's historically what we've seen. Um, so we're going to be living with it forever. Um, and, uh, it, it'll be, you know, just like, uh, I, I think it'll be just like the, um, the seasonal flu and some of the other, uh, pathogens that are endemic. But, uh, but, you know, I think that we, uh, I think, you know, we've lost millions of lives globally. And I, I think, you know, shame on us if we don't come out of this, um, you know, better, healthier, stronger, and we let those people die in vain. And, yeah. and so I, I think, you know, now is the time. This is an awakening for us. Now is the time to say, look, we didn't do a good job before at keeping, keeping people safe. We have had no technology and innovation around this thing. It's so important and really revolves around human health. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's time to come out of this uh, with some learning and, um, and improve uh, the standard of, of disinfection in, in all of these different places and, and really keep people healthier. And, and we're all going to benefit from it. And uh, uh, I think human health is something that we can all get behind. So it's, it's going to take a, a team effort here uh, societally, but, uh, but we can do it. And the evidence is there. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, listen, I'm, you know, I'm almost 50 and this didn't happen in my lifetime. And maybe I'm one of these entitled Americans that thought, Oh, that just doesn't happen here. You know, you hear of like, you know, you hear SARS and it's in Asia and you hear MERS and it's in the Middle East or wherever it was. And you hear of Ebola and it, you know, there's a case here or there, but it doesn't really yep. come here. You know, I don't know. I did, you know, so this was, I think for everybody here was a wake up call, you know, like a really, and, and I, I hope I agree with you that, you know, forget the political side of all of it because of what people's opinions have been about it, that we will deal with something like this very, very differently if we are unfortunate enough to have something like this happen again. Yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. And we're here to usher in that change. But yeah, I think it, it was very apparent that we were woefully unprepared um, to handle something like this. And, um, you know, hopefully we never have to deal with something like this, but uh, uh, something like the COVID pandemic again. But, um, but you know, we, we still have all these common pathogens that, that are endemic to our spaces. And, you know, sick days, the CDC estimates sick days cost the U.S. economy over $600 billion a year. Yeah. Um, you know, due to direct and indirect costs. Uh, lost productivity. Um, and and uh, that's a big problem. That was before COVID. Um, so, you know, COVID really shined the light on that that problem before uh, that existed before. And, um, uh, you know, if we can, you know, do better across the board, then, you know, ostensibly we will be better prepared for uh, really any kind of, uh, you know, pathogen that, that emerges in, and, uh, and we will be able to control, contain and, and prevent, you know, the, the devastation that, that we've seen over the last couple of years. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So let's talk about the innovation. What are you guys yeah. doing that is different um, to help people stay healthy? Uh, a whole bunch of stuff, but I think that you know, fundamentally what we're doing is we're taking hospital-grade disinfection mechanisms and, and we are marrying them with modern technologies like IoT connectivity, data science, machine learning, uh, and modern software experiences uh, to, uh, uh, to control those devices, to automate workflows and things like that. And so... Really what we're creating is this continuous automated disinfection ecosystem where we can fight the transmission of pathogens across any vector of transmission from air to surfaces to person to person. But the idea is that we have this suite of products um, that is physically installed in, into the, the built environment, in, installed into the infrastructure of the buildings that you spend your time in. And these, these devices have sensors in them and they're constantly, um, uh, they're constantly trying to understand how the space is being used in real time and collecting inputs that, that we then calculate risk with. Um, you know, we know how pathogens are spread and we can model that mathematically. And so our sensors can collect the input data, like where do people go? Where's the population density high? Um, and therefore, where's the risk? Then we can, we can derive or quantify um, what that risk is. And if we know what it is, then we can do something about it. And what we do about it is we, we then automate the use of our products will kick on the products that are installed locally where the risk risk is. Um, so your building is effectively fighting 24-7 to keep you safe without needing to do anything. Um, but really the the unique thing to kind of unpack that and land the plane a little bit um, uh, is the the data capture uh, and, and what we do with the data. Um, and so, you know, before you you have, you know, there are products that have been, had similar form factors, similar, you know, similar use cases as some of the ones that we have. But they're, you know, they're controlled with a light switch, and, and frankly, they don't, they don't work that well. And so, you know, we're getting more sophisticated using data and modern technologies to, um, uh, to do disinfection more efficiently and effectively than we've ever done it before. But, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, we, one of the ways we talk about the data is we create this auditable trail of disinfection activity. So, yeah. You know, we've make, made this historically invisible process being disinfection now visible for the first time. So before, you know, your, your, your staff might come in at night when nobody's there, they wipe some stuff down, they yeah. sign their name on a paper and a clipboard, and then they go on their way. You don't really know if they showed up, let alone what they did, let alone <laughs> how well they did. Um, and, and it's not to say that people aren't good at their job, they are, uh, but humans are imperfect. We all are. And, um, you know, even in hospitals, uh, actually Clorox published a study that even in hospitals with specially trained staff and where the stakes are the highest, 50% of surfaces that contain microorganisms that are pathogenic are missed by manual disinfection. And so, you know, we can, you know, do, do things more efficiently and effectively if we use technology um, that's automated, that's continuous, um, and, uh, and that's truly hospital grade. So, or, you know, not just your staff coming in, it's people in hazmat suits, you know, who are showing up yeah. and doing something like this. Is yeah. this like, almost like, are, are you treating this almost like you're going to automate something almost like an indoor sprinkler system that like starts disinfecting? Yeah. So, uh, so I, I mean, I think a, a good analog would be, um, 
So we use light to disinfect. Uh-huh. So a really good, uh, a really good analog would be, um, would be like an automated lighting system. So, you know, huh. I, I'm sure everyone's really experienced, you know, when you walk into a room, you know, it'll sense that you're there and it'll automatically turn the lights on. And then when you leave and, and nobody's in the room for a while, they'll turn off automatically. It's a very basic and simple example. Um, uh, but, you know, that's kind of uh, uh, more along the lines of like how our products will work uh, or do work huh. um, is, is, you know, uh, it, it's more sophisticated than that under the hood, but fundamentally, like that's what you would experience as a as a customer. Right? That's really cool. Um, so, and the light isn't harmful to humans; it could just pop on, right? It doesn't have to yeah, be like so, everybody's out so, of the room. Yeah. So there are certain types of UVC. Historically, UVC um, is uh, it, it can cause harm to human skin and eyes. So, uh, if in the case that we use that wavelength of light, which happens to be extremely effective, um, we design our product products where nobody interacts with the light. Mm-hmm. So for example, one of the products we have will shine a beam of light across the top of the room um, uh, where people don't interact with it. And when you breathe out, that air is hot. Um, and if you're sick, it's also contaminated, but that hot air will rise up into the, the uh, beam of light that's across the top of the room um, where it gets disinfected. And then by the time it cools and comes back down to the room, it's safe to breathe. Huh. But um, the whole time it's working above your head without you really knowing. Um, and uh, it's working to keep you safe by exposing humans to it. But huh. we do have uh, products that are safe for um, uh, for human skin and eyes. Um, it's a novel new type of UVC that's a shorter wavelength and it um, is completely safe for, for occupied rooms. And so we can do continuous surface and air disinfection wow. in real time, um, or you know, basically blanket people with this, this uh, sort of shield of, of germicidal light uh, at all times within a space. Um, and, uh, you know, it happens to be invisible to the human eye. So you really can't tell, um, what's going on. Uh, you know, just, you've got, uh, content, continuous automated, like protection at all times within your facility. It just out of naivete, like the light is as effective as a chemical that would be used to kill these types of pathogens. Broadly speaking, more, more effective. So like UVC light has been around for over a hundred years. In fact, the 1903 Nobel prize for medicine was awarded to a guy named Neil Stinson for the use of UVC to treat lupus. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's got a mountain of, of evidence and scientific precedent proving that it's, uh, that it's effective against any kind of uh, uh, virus, bacteria, mold, and fungi. Um, in fact, there are no UVC resistant microorganisms on the planet. Um, and so, uh, so it is highly effective. Um, and, and until now it's really been relegated to hospitals. Um, and, you know, we've adapted it for use outside the hospitals while maintaining the hospital grade efficacy. And we've baked in the right safety mechanisms. We've built it in the right form factors. Um, we've made it, you know, uh, dirt simple to, to interact with and use and, um, in really, you know, democratizing access to this life-saving technology. That's wild. Okay. And then now, Sports leagues had to shut down. Uh, now they're reopened. Now there's 50, 80, 100,000 people showing up to venues and sports are back. Um, can you take us through yeah. some of the partnerships that you've had with leagues and groups and what they were hoping to gain by working with you? Absolutely. So so we are super proud to be partnered with uh, 12 professional sports teams across four major uh, uh, you know, uh, United States leagues, um, or, and, um, you know, I think 
one of the one of the things that makes us really proud is you know sports are such an important part of culture that we've been missing for the last two years and um and you know i think we talked about the psychological impact of of this pandemic earlier and i think you know sports are just one one small way um that uh uh you know to bring, bring people back to a sense of normalcy so um so what we've done with our sports partners is um you know, uh, there's a couple of different dimensions here. So um, one, when when they weren't allowed to have fans in the stadiums, um, it was all about protecting the athletes and the staff. Yeah. Um, and so you, you think about the places where the athletes are gathering. So think about the like the gyms, the training facilities, the um, uh, you know the rooms, the the treatment uh, rooms where they're getting taped up or or, or treated by medical staff, um, the locker rooms and things like that. Um, so creating this this uh, uh, this extra layer of protection in those spaces when that when that risk is really high. Um, you know, if a if a if a, a player misses a game, there's a huge detriment to the organization. Um, you know, like I'm a I'm a 49ers fan, and if you know uh, if uh, Nick Bosa got sick, um, you know, it changes our defense, and um, and uh, you know, there's there's uh, big monetary implications to that too, and so. Um, you know, if, if you're not thinking about games, think about practice. Um, you know, athletes are constantly trying to perform at their peak, and they can't do that if they miss training days. Um, and so that's one of the ways the uh, U.S. Ski and Snowboard team uh, really looked at our, our products is, is look, we're, it's a competitive advantage if we can keep our athletes ha- healthier. Um, now, the other couple of dimensions are staff um, and, uh, and fans. And so with the staff, um, you know, the staff are putting themselves at risk you know, all, all the time when they're, you know, at work, just like the players are. And so uh, to be able to, uh, you know, disinfect uh, and, and provide uh, trust and safety for the corporate offices of some of these organizations um, is really important as well. And then the fans, um, you know, as fans come back, there's still risk. We're still in the middle of a global pandemic. And and so uh, for fans to uh, to have that extra sense of comfort and, and trust, knowing that something differentiated is being done, um, in the bathrooms, in, at the concession stands, yeah. in the luxury boxes, in the press boxes, um, you know, it, it helps uh, get people back in the stadium. And then one uh, uh, fun anecdote, I guess, is uh, we, we have a, a, an MLS team uh, who uh, went on a winning streak when they implemented our product. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'd like to think I'd like to think we're a good luck charm as well. Oh man, you'll, you'll get a championship ring. How about that? You'll get a championship Hopefully. ring. <laughs> All right, all right. Last thing for you, I just I want your expertise on this since we're talking about sports and stadiums. Um, okay, I get it. Like we want to disinfect bathrooms, concourses, places where people will gather, and it is either indoor or semi-indoor at a stadium. When I look on TV and I see 80,000 people sitting in a stadium, when you see that, do you feel like they're safe? Like, how, how do you feel about that when you see that right now? You know, um, I, it, this is a hard question to ask, but um, I'll, I'll, um, I'll give you my personal opinion and act the issue. But I think, you know, it's, there, there's a balance, right? And, and I think that there's, you know, everybody has their own risk tolerance and everybody has their own um, uh, risk profile. So, um, you know, uh, people that are older are, you know, th- there's natural decay of the immune system as, uh, as part of the natural aging process. And so um, people that are, you know, a little bit older are, are at higher risk. Um, there are certain health conditions that put you at higher risk, um, your vaccination status, things like that. Um, but ultimately, I think it's a personal decision of, you know, what's your risk tolerance. I think that the responsibility that we all have is to consider the people around us and, uh, and make sure that, you know, we're taking precautions to keep our, our neighbors safe, so to speak, our community members safe. 
Um, and so I think, you know, there, there is, um, you know, I, I personally, uh, you know, I'm fortunate to be, you know, healthy, um, a healthy adult. And, and, uh, uh, so I personally, uh, in a, in a place where there's R0 products installed, I personally would feel, um, you know, relatively safe, as safe as you can be going back. And I think that the, the, the benefit of, you know, getting back to something normal, the psychological benefit to me is worth the minimal risk um, of, you know, being outdoor in a stadium. And then when I go indoors, there is this added layer of protection and, and I happen to be vaccinated as well. So, you know, I'm practicing risk reduction and, yeah. uh, and, and changing my behavior based on, on um, uh, my, my own risk profile. But, um, you know, I think it's a personal decision. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that there's more risk at these stadiums with 80,000 people than, uh, than a lot of other places. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, I think that, you know, as they, these stadiums, these events, they should be doing everything that they can to keep people safe. And, um, uh, and it, it, it's, it's a balance and it's a personal choice, I think. Okay. So that's the 80,000 people sitting outside, mainly outside. Um, how about the 18,000 people as the NBA, NHL and other indoor sports return this fall? How, how do you feel about that one as they yeah. fill out stadiums? So the- yeah, so what we've actually seen is a lot of these, a lot of these uh, uh, stadiums that we're working with. Um, huge kudos to them, but they're making multi-million-dollar investments in you know uh, improving their ventilation and their HVAC systems and um, and installing products like ours um, throughout the building and and you know uh, mandating that people are social distancing and wearing masks. And as long as those precautions are followed, um, and we're seeing more and more. Uh, you know, I'm in San Francisco right now, and, and the, the Warriors are requiring all fans to be vaccinated uh, to enter the building. And so I think as long as those precautions are being, uh, you know, instituted and followed, I think, you know, uh, I think that, uh, um, you know, they, it minimizes the risk. And like I said earlier, there's no silver bullet. The name of the game is risk mitigation, risk reduction. And, um, and, and so I think that, you know, like there, there's a balance between, um, you know, doing everything that you possibly can to keep people safe, reduce that risk, and then, you know, getting people back to to doing what they love to do. Um, and the good news is those things are not mutually exclusive. You can do you can do both and uh, you can take the precautions uh, and, and enjoy your sports as well. Grant Morgan is the co-founder and the CEO at R0 Systems. Thank you so much for joining us, Grant. Thank you, Bram. Really, uh, really happy to be here and I hope this was uh, helpful for your listeners. Up next, Tamir Goodman created a basketball net that serves a purpose beyond making sure points are put on the board. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our guest this week is the founder of Aviv Sports, Tamir Goodman, who's a former professional basketball player entrepreneur and coach, and he joins us over from Israel. Aviv is created to reimagine and revolutionize sports equipment. Hey, Tamir, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It's always great to speak with you. Thank you. Um, Let me talk about your company, Aviv Sports. When did you start it and what is the goal of the company? Okay, so um, I want to say back in January over here in Israel, we were on a very strict lockdown. 
And um, I was a former professional basketball player and, you know, very involved in basketball till today at all levels. And um, just sitting in lockdown in our living room. And one day I got an email from the Basketball Association in Israel saying that, you know, we can't go back to basketball yet. But even if we are to go back to basketball, um, <laughs> we're going to make sure that every player comes with their own ball because the germs are being transmitted on the ball. So there can't be any pa- passing in basketball. Everyone's got to bring their own ball. And oh. that's how we're going to have to run practices now. And it was right at that moment where I like for a second, I was like, wow, I can't believe like how dark this pandemic is getting that, you know, we can't even pass a basketball anymore to all of a sudden me becoming motivated and saying, I got to do something about this for the game that I love and for the players that I love. And I immediately thought of the idea of using the net as a tool to uh, clean the bacteria off the ball so that players would be able to pass the ball. And then another problem at the same time, plaguing basketball players for a really long time is playing with a really sweaty ball. It's hard to be confident when, you know, you catch a ball and it's really sweaty. You, you don't want to shoot. You might turn over if you're dribbling. So what if we created an amazing net that could dry the ball from sweat and, and clean off the bacteria? So that's how we uh, huh. initially thought of the idea. And then I reached back to my friend, uh, David Warshawski, who was an investor back in Baltimore. He was also a basketball player in our, on our coaching staff in high school. And I shared the idea with him and he said, uh, let's create Aviv. And we did. All right, so the basketball net has come in two forms and it hasn't changed in forever. There's the one in my backyard that's a chain because it's outside and on a blacktop and there's the net net that we're accustomed to. Um, what have you done with the net to get the result that you're looking for? Exactly, yeah. There's been so much innovation in sport, but no one's really been thinking about the net. And what we decided to do was just go to the best textile companies in the world that work with the best fabrics and the best technology and the best yarns and um, create a net that features these properties of both antimicrobial properties as well as moisture wicking and combine the yarns in a way that it will bring out this dual action. And uh, we were able to partner with leading professionals in the industry and come up with this incredible net. There is one flaw, poor shooting teams. You realize that, right? <laughs> That's the flaw here. It could be a problem, but it could also be good for me because then they'll, they'll sign up for my basketball camp and to work on shooting as well. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> uh, let me go back to this this idea that you know basketball had shut down and they were saying that you ha- you can't even pass the ball to one another. Um, what was that based on? Who who had who had made that decision that, that that's what was necessary. Well, I'm over here in Israel and that was the email that we got out from the basketball association. And, um, and that's in fact how it was, you know, when we eventually did come back to practice, all the players were have to keep their own ball the entire practice. They could not pass the ball. So we had to come up with a lot of creative drills of how do you get better at basketball if you can't pass the basketball? Um, and, uh, you know, thankfully, we've been able to find a solution to this that will help players both play better because the ball won't be as slippery and also keep them safer because there'll be a limited amount of bacteria on the ball. Let me ask you just a broad question about what's going on in Israel right now. You all, at least um, seemingly, are always kind of a few months ahead of us in terms of what we can expect with the pandemic. We 
there was a high vaccination rate and suddenly cases were going down and things were reopening in Israel. And we saw that in America. And then all of a sudden the breakthrough cases started happening there and then they started happening here. So with that kind of timeline, can can you just kind of update us just in general on what's happening in Israel right now? Yeah, right now in Israel, from what I'm understanding is that the third vaccine has had a really great impact. I have five kids. All five kids are back at school. And it seems that, like, um, you know, it's, it's really working now. So hopefully it'll continue. Everything here is moving smoothly now, both in business, you know, and in basketball. Like, the pro leagues are all back. International players are all here. Things seem to be going really well. So um, in Israel, there's a really good system here, a really good medical system. So it's it's a lot, I mean, it's a small country. There's only 9 million people here. So it's a lot easier to kind of get everybody on the same page than it would be in America because America is just like so much bigger. And uh, here it's just the healthcare system is kind of like able to be on top of everybody. Everyone's kind of in the same healthcare network in, in one way or another. So it's uh, a lot easier to, to, con- to, you know, make sure everyone's kind of on the same page here and it seems to be working. Thank God. Yeah. Um, all right. So tell me a little bit about just in general. So you were looking at the pandemic and the protocols and the necessity to try to help people just get back on the court safely as, as, as much as possible. Um, is the sport entirely kind of viewing health and safety differently now? And even as they, eye what will hopefully be post the pandemic to try to maintain health and safety protocols. Yes, things are definitely back here and the leagues are, are definitely back, but there's a tremendous amount of emphasis on keeping the fans safe, the front office safe, the players safe, obviously, and new protocols. And there's a, you know, there's an energy of, of safety in the air. Um, you know, just with us here at Apollo Jerusalem, I'm on my eighth season on the staff here. Things are so different with how we host teams, how we feed teams now, how long they're coming into Israel you know, what they're doing while they're in Israel, you know, it's just not the same. Everyone's trying to do everything to keep the players and the fans as safe as possible. So there's definitely a huge emphasis on that, but it seems like everyone's doing a good job and fans are finally able to enjoy the game again. And um, it's exciting to see things moving forward, but at the same time, there's definitely an emphasis on, on safety. So you've, you've Here created... in Jerusalem, they're, they're using my nets, both in practice uh. and in the professional games. Um, Last week was the first time uh, in a Champions League game Jerusalem played against Turkey that they used um, my nets. And tomorrow night, there's, it's going to be the second uh, European game with my nets. So I'm just thankful that the players love them and they can feel the difference and that it's keeping players safer. Yep. And what else are you working on? What other products are you thinking about? Yeah, so as soon as we get this out 100%, um, we have like a, a, a pipeline of ideas of things that we want to continue bringing through the Aviv company, which is all about reimagining sport and helping sport and helping athletes. Um, and we also put a really big emphasis on helping um, women in sports as well. So um, I'll, I'll be happy to show you all the things <laughs> as they, as they come into fruition, but we definitely have a really exciting game plan. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool. Tamir Goodman, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thank you so much. And please send my warmest regards to everyone back home. Thank you. On the next Future Sport Podcast, the trainer of the modern NFL player in a year where a season expanded. They're fast and explosive in those pieces, you know, of course. 
I can't believe how much they can tolerate. I think yeah. what I saw coming in was these guys are quick sprinters and great, but you know, soccer and football players back in Australia, you know, they do the body. Anecdotally, high look. In the NFL, they seem to run further in a week of practice than we did back home. That's Jamie Hepner, Director of Applied Sports Science for Football at Catapult, who is helping teams and players gain an edge as seasons get longer. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.